Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We've got a deliciously good martini today. We also have a bad martini that certainly has major crazy overtones to it. And then the, uh, the, the crazy one also has a lot of bad in it. So uh, we've, got some, we've got some overlap here is what I'm trying to say. Uh, but Jim, our good martini is just so much fun because it's a follow-up to yesterday's martini about the Texas Democrats who... Uh, went on this absurd political theater of the selfies on the bus with the Miller Lite and then the private plane to Dulles and the selfies at Dulles. And then they just happened to come to Washington at the same time Joe Biden's heading up to Philadelphia to give his big pitch for the federal elections legislation. They're, of course, claiming that Texas is trying to pass really restrictive uh, voting legislation. But here's the best part, Jim. You know, when you're trying to put a political stunt together, you might want to do a head count. And the Texas Democrats did not do that because the bill passed anyway. There were enough Democrats who stuck around in the state Senate to pass this thing by a vote of 18 to 4. That meant 22 of 31 members were present, which is enough for a quorum. So not only did they not even kick this to uh, another special session, they didn't even really last 24 hours on this stunt. But I guess, uh, you know, they're going to make a lot of fundraising dollars off of this. So what do you make of the poorly executed um, political theater here? Greg, if we wanted to be generous, we could say that the Democrats have a losing hand and they're trying to play it in a way that maximizes their fundraising gain and that maybe gets as much national attention as possible and can kind of whip up national support and make it look like those big, bad Republicans are trying to prevent people from voting, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not really convinced uh, that they're doing that much because one, as you noted, like they haven't been able to stop the Texas state Senate from passing this bill. And the Democrats would say, yes, but we still have enough folks who have uh, left the state so that there's not a quorum in the state house. And if the lawmakers do not return before the end of the special session, the bills languish. Except here's the problem. There's nothing stopping Greg Abbott from calling another special session right after that one. So it's kind of like Greg Abbott is like, I can do this all day. I can do this all day. I can do this all summer. As long as you guys keep staying away and our special sessions expire, I can just keep calling new ones. And if you guys will be in the state, well, send the state troopers to go, the Texas Rangers to go collect you. And if you continue to stay away, first of all, you, you got to make a living. Remember, we talked earlier in the week about how these guys are not full-time uh, uh, state legislators. They're not getting paid. Their, their, uh, I think he specifically said he's going to veto the money for the salaries of these lawmakers. But then the next thing is that at, at some point, you've got to pass other stuff. There's a big bail reform bill Republicans want to get passed. I'm sure a lot of Democrats don't like that. But the thing is, you can't like leave the state and swear to never come back and and just assume that that's going to lead, lead to your reelection. Sooner or later, you've got to get back and do some pass some sort of laws. And when you do, there's a quorum. And the moment there's a quorum, Republicans are going to have the numbers to pass the bill. So this is all a delaying tactic. Uh, Democrats can delay the passage of this legislation. They really can't stop it. They just don't have the numbers. And I suppose you can say this is a way for them to like, you know, get the most fundraising possible. But Greg, how many times have we said, oh, this is the year Democrats are going to win in Texas? <laughs> We've been through this every two years for the last decade, practically, and it just is, it never shakes out this way. And I really am not convinced that fleeing the state is going to be 
the magic uh, uh, key that unlocks the door to give Democrats statewide, statewide wins or even significant state legislative wins uh, in, t- in the state of Texas. They definitely look like the panderers that they are as, as they've tried to pull this off. And I think the fugitive meal tweet uh, from one of them yesterday was uh, especially nice touch. And, uh, you know, one of them claiming that, oh, this is not to the level of things that other people have heroically done for our democracy, but we are committed to this. I mean, they're, they're over the top rhetoric and, and uh, shoddy PR on this as something to behold. Let's talk about something far, far more soothing than that, and that is getting those sore muscles to feel much, much better, whether it's from your workout or just from sitting at your desk too long. Let's be honest. That's where Theragun comes in. Don't let the stress of daily life weigh on your body. So whether you're an elite athlete or someone like me who is definitely not an elite athlete, just trying to make it through the day tension-free, Theragun can really help. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. And it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good. It gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension. Using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. The OLED screen and design make you feel like you're holding something from the future. Just go to their site and check it out. And the Theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guide and routines. And as we've said many times on this podcast, I love the Theragun. Mrs. Columbus truly loves the uh, the uh, Theragun. She uses it even more than I do, but we both really like it. Uh, and uh, you can just uh, fire it up and use it on the muscle groups that need work at that time. And uh, once you connect with the app, the app kind of figures out where you need it, and the app comes up with those routines. It's really, really cool. Theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, hundreds of thousands of customers, and one of those includes me. So try Theragun for 30 days starting at just $199. Go to theragun.com slash martini right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash martini, theragun.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's move to our second martini now. And yesterday, Joe Biden was uh, delivering his highly touted speech on election reform at the Constitution Center in Philadelphia, the very same constitution that says setting election laws should be left up to the states. Article 1, Section 4, I believe. Nonetheless, Joe Biden making a push against uh, what a lot of Republican state legislatures are doing, which is going to pre-pandemic voting rules, and in some cases actually making it easier uh, to vote early, uh, in some cases requiring uh, identification for mail-in ballots. Democrats definitely not liking that, even though they're easing up on same-day voter ID. But uh, Biden couldn't just uh, go with the very vague generalities about why he doesn't like the state laws or why he thinks we need the federal legislation. He had to really, really build it up into something that it's so clearly not. Uh, It's this existential crisis in our country, Jim. Couple of clips. Here's the first one. So hear me clearly. There's an unfolding assault taking place in America today, an attempt to suppress and subvert right to vote in fair and free elections, an assault on democracy, an assault on liberty, an assault on who we are, who we are as Americans. For make no mistake, 
Bullies and merchants of fear, peddlers of lies, are threatening the very foundation of our country. If you thought that was over the top, just you wait. The assault on free and fair elections is just such a threat, literally. I've said it before. We're facing the most significant test of our democracy since the Civil War. That's not hyperbole. Since the Civil War. All right, Jim. So uh, this is clearly not the biggest threat to our democracy or our republic, more appropriately. Uh, Since the Civil War, there's been uh, far more... uh, Uh, dangerous and and chilling challenges to our Constitution since then. But uh, as I mentioned in the intro here, uh, nobody on the left really ever gets to point to anything specific as to why this is so dire. Uh, They obviously want the federal legislation to pass, which gives the federal government more control over what happens in the elections. But uh, from Georgia to Texas and, and plenty of states in between, nobody can really put their finger on anything that uh, puts our whole system on the, on the brink of collapse here. Only three weeks of uh, early voting. That's, that's the greatest threat to our democracy. You know, it's, you know, we keep hearing that it's, you know, Jim Crow 2.0. The greatest threat to our democracy since the Civil War would include the original Jim Crow. <laughs> right. So Joe Biden is asserting that what he's calling Jim Crow 2.0, the current restrictions on early voting. stuff. It's not that like, you know, no one's saying you can't have elections. No one's saying you can't vote. There, there's some voter ID requirements. We've heard from Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock that, that voter ID requirements are fine. That, you know, all of a sudden this is, but this is worse than Jim Crow? Really? You know, so, so what's going on here? Well, Democrats really thought they were going to get their big S1 voting you know, election reform. Let's have federal government effectively take over the administration of elections in every corner of the country. Bill didn't shake out right. Did not, uh, you know, didn't pass. Can't get the, you know, can't get through. Filibuster's not going anywhere. And I think they're kind of shocked by this. By the way, there are people who are like Democrats who follow the kind of nuts and bolts of election machinery. I don't mean, I guess literally, but also like mostly I mean figuratively. And I think, you know, when talking about Joe Biden, literally, it's very important to, to emphasize what, when you mean literal and when you mean figurative. Um, but there are Democrats who say this actually is not very well written legislation, that actually it would end up creating a whole bunch of headaches and problems. They don't necessarily oppose every one of the goals in it, but they also think some of this is addressing problems that aren't really problems. And then really is to, they need to go back to the drawing board and kind of more carefully uh, construct the legislative language of this. So they can both, there's like an entirely non-ideological objection to S1 uh, and these democratic efforts as they currently exist. But the second is, but you know, Democrats really thought they were going to get this passed. And it is July 14th. It is, we're, we're now about halfway into uh, Biden's first year. They, they can see the writing on the wall. There's not a guarantee that they're going to lose the House or Senate in the midterm elections, but it certainly looks pretty likely. There's not, you know, midterm elections usually go badly for the president's party. The clock is ticking. And what's more is they really, you know, they, they managed to move the all-star game this week, but they really haven't been able to persuade uh, the holdouts in the Democratic side and all that kind of stuff. So there was this meeting a couple of days ago with Al Sharpton and a group of other, uh, I'm gonna, you can see, you know, I'll use the term civil rights activists, and I'll let you decide whether you think that's an accurate label. <laughs> and um, but they, they were basically, you know, pretty darn mad at the administration saying, you're not doing enough to help us pass this legislation. And uh, Biden was there. Harris was there. And apparently the meeting, you know, at no point did Biden say, you're right, we're not doing enough. Uh, but like, we hear you and all stuff. This speech clearly is Biden attempting to placate these groups. He definitely is trying to get them off his back and say, look, see, I'm bringing the big guns. I'm going out and giving the big speech. I'm pounding the, the, the podium. I'm, I'm doing what I can to get this legislation passed. 
Now, I don't really think this is going to change the dynamics on the ground. I don't think it's going to make any of the holdouts really change their minds. Uh, again, it might be good for Democratic fundraising and things like that. But I think as you observe the, um, the, the you know, lack of specifics about what the legislation would actually do is a good indicator of the problem here. But I think there's another indication. Like, I think this is genuinely bad for the country. I think one of the reasons, if you genuinely believe the opposing party is ready to destroy democracy forever, it's kind of like, I'm, I'm going to, you know, channel Jonah Goldberg here. Whenever somebody starts saying, this is the moral equivalent of war, well, we're allowed to do things in war that we're not allowed to do in peacetime. We make moral compromises in war that we would not make in peacetime. So every time somebody says, look, this is a really extraordinary situation. It's never been this bad. The danger has never been so great. People justify to themselves, I can do things to the other side that I would not ordinarily find ethical or acceptable uh, or something like that. So I'm not saying this is guaranteed, but it's just this is basically pouring gasoline on our partisan passions and it's the other thing which my colleague Kyle Smith observed. This is really Biden kind of setting on fire his own credibility as a bipartisan deal maker and the guy who's going to lower the partisan rhetoric and the incendiary words and all. No, no, he's, he's as bad as anybody. And I'm reminded of his 2012 comment, going to put you all back in chains about that infamous, notorious Mitt Romney. Uh, Joe Biden can be as incendiary as the next guy. It's just, you know, he doesn't get nearly called out for it as much because he's got a D after his name. Exactly right. And we saw it with Clarence Thomas. We saw it with Judge Bork. We saw it with John Roberts and Sam Alito. So, I mean, this guy, uh, when the cameras are on and the uh, attention is high, uh, is more than willing to, to sling mud and get down in the dirt. This whole nice guy image who's always above it all is complete garbage. And it, and it always has been. But, uh, Jim, I, I don't know if you've uh, watched the coverage of this, but it's so absurd. What do you make of the argument? Well, Okay, we're not gonna kill the filibuster since Mansion and Cinema won't do it. But what about a, a one-time carve-out because this voting legislation is just so crucial? We have to do it this time. So, but just this one time, and then we'll go back. Exemptions from the filibuster, I suspect, are going to be a lot like either potato chips or Oreos. Pick your preferred <laughs> uh, sweet tooth or or snacking. It's very tough to do it just once. Once you allow yourself to say, "I can have that." You're going to eat more than one Oreo or you're going to eat more than one potato chip. Um, both of these would amount to because the next time somebody really wants to get a legislation passing and say, look, this is we've only okay, only these two issues, two issues. OK, three, three really big issues <laughs> in which you're allowed to ignore the filibuster. So I hope Joe Manchin recognizes once you open this door, it's not going to get closed. Exactly right. Hopefully he's just watching the bombastic incendiary rhetoric here and. Uh... Rethinking his uh, his support for uh, this legislation if it does include some voter ID provisions, but we will see. But uh, in the meantime, Joe Biden, get a nap. I mean, you get plenty of them already, but I mean, that was insane. Or maybe your speechwriter needs a nap. But either way, my pillow's going to help, and so will the Giza Dream Sheets. The pillows are fantastic. So are the Giza Dream Sheets. Super soft, great material, made in the USA. Uh, and as I've said uh, many, many times, we love these sheets. We keep them on the, the bed and get them back on the bed as soon as we can once we have to wash them. So uh, definitely a favorite in the Columbus house. For a limited time, you can get two sets of Giza Dream Sheets for one low price plus free shipping. Imagine sliding into the most comfortable sheets you will ever own, guaranteed. They're made from the world's best cotton and grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. Its long staple cotton makes it ultra soft and breathable. 
These sheets are available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they come with the 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. Don't miss out on this deal. Visit MyPillow.com and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout or call 800-874-0104 for two sets of the Giza Dream Sheets for one low price plus free shipping. Again, that's two sets of the Giza Dream Sheets for one low price plus free shipping with the promo code MARTINI. Don't forget that promo code MARTINI. Use it at MyPillow.com or when you call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com or call 800-874-0104. All right, let's keep talking about Democratic efforts to pass really bad legislation without getting to 60 votes. So they want to use reconciliation, of course, one more time. And it looks like because uh, the bipartisan infrastructure deal uh, made them cut a lot of stuff that they wanted, that they're going to pile a bunch of crap into another bill and pass that without much or any Republican support. Let's go over to uh, Jazz Shaw uh, at Hot Air with some help from NBC News. NBC says Senate Democratic leaders announced an agreement Tuesday evening to advance a $3.5 trillion spending plan to finance a major expansion of the economic safety net. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said the $3.5 trillion will be in addition to the $579 billion in new spending under the Bipartisan Infrastructure Agreement. He said the deal will include a robust expansion of Medicare that includes new benefits like dental, vision, and hearing, along with major funding for clean energy. Quote, if we pass this, this is the most profound change to help American families in generations. Mark Warner declaring, according to Jazz Shaw, this bill will be fully paid for, which is an interesting claim since both Schumer and Bernie Sanders are promising that nobody making less than $400,000 a year will pay any additional taxes and neither will small businesses. So the entire $3.5 trillion will be footed by corporations and the wealthy who will be paying their fair share, quote unquote. So Jim, Kind of a pie-in-the-sky fantasy here. Oh, by the way, they still don't even have a bill for review to, to see what's in here. But uh, they're going to try and jam this through. Uh, what do you make of the latest, uh, I would say, unwise tactics by Senate Democrats? I'm going to take a moment and address the Republicans who have signed on. I include some of my favorite Republican senators, Mitt Romney, Rob Portman. I think Bill Cassidy was in there. Um and all, but all these are all Republicans who think of themselves as fiscal conservatives. They, you know, they whatever you know, I, uh, they probably see themselves as social conservatives and, in fact, full spectrum conservatives. But you know, particularly, they, they generally believe that you know the government cannot just spend as much as it likes and not have uh, serious negative long term consequences. So I would say to Romney and Portman and Cassidy and the rest, and just kind of say, all right, well, look, if you sign on to the quote unquote bipartisan infrastructure bill. And Democrats turn around and pass the wish list bill. What do you get out of this? <laughs> what, you know, you know, I mean, yes, you can say I, I, I was not a stubborn partisan and I was willing to work with the administration when they were willing to be reasonable. And look, we did this. Okay, okay fine. If you were doing that and you weren't getting the $3.5 trillion, I'm sorry, we're on autopilot. I think billion, it's a trillion, $3.5 trillion in other unrelated crap, this Christmas tree wish list. What's in it for you? you? You gave away the store. What did you get out of this? Because if you're able to, if, if part of us like, look, you get this stuff, you get our cooperation on this stuff, but you don't pass that stuff. All right, then it's a good deal. I can see the value of it. But in this one, they get everything they want and you help them <laughs> and you don't get anything you want, at least if you believe the government should not be running up, you know, multi-trillion dollar deficits year after year. So 
I, I don't quite see the logic of it. I don't really see the the point of this. And then I think I'm, I'm sure you want, you know, you'd like to get that infrastructure spending fast, but right now, no less a figure than Joy Reid of MSNBC is saying, well, if Democrats don't get anything they want, they should say, well, hell with this, we're not going to pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Call that bluff. <laughs> I like that. Oh, okay. Wait, we wait. That's an option again. We can pass nothing. I really like that one. Let's go. Let's take that option. Door number three. Um, and by the way, I have a sneaking suspicion that if the Biden administration really saw that and it saw all of the negotiations falling apart and the idea that they could pass nothing on infrastructure by the end of the year, I think actually you'd see you know this sudden you know puckering, if you will, in the Biden administration. Oh, no, no, we'll sign on to the bipartisan only bill. That's fine. That's fine. You know, so I think, look, the Republicans in the Senate and House, they have more leverage than they realize. So there's really no good reason for them to say, okay, we'll let you pass the rest of the stuff for reconciliation. And that way you spend everything you want and we don't really get much of anything. Well, Biden's the the one who actually got this whole mess going because remember he had the bipartisan group over to celebrate the framework for the infrastructure deal, and then the very same day at another event, he said, "Oh no, no, no! This has got to be a two-track uh, process here, or neither gets done. Uh, we got to have reconciliation on the uh, third bill, whatever they call it, the American Something Act, and then get the bipartisan deal done so we can use reconciliation on the other one." What? Republican in their right mind would allow this. So, I mean, all Mitch has to do is keep him from getting to 60 on infrastructure, right? Yeah. I mean, look, there, there's a there's a playbook to do this sort of thing. And it's kind of fascinating how much the Democrats are having a hard time passing it. The gist is, you, know, the gist is you, you cooperate as much as you can. You, you say, oh, I don't want to be a partisan wars in Washington. I want everybody to, to get along. Kumbaya. And you get the other, you, you don't push any of the stuff that is going to be really tough to pass. Uh, you you go through and say, okay, let's get, you know, well, we agree on infrastructure, let's do that. Oh, we agree on some national security stuff. Like, and you rack up the bipartisan agreements for as long as you can. Sooner or later, the bipartisan good feelings are going to stop. It's just a fact of life. If sooner or later, your administration will want to do things that the other party is not going to want to do. And then... <laughs> After you've gotten all the bipartisan accomplishments, then you go back and you pass all the stuff you want. And by that point, they, you know you you can you know try to do it through reconciliation, or you can try to figure out some way um, to do it in a way that you don't need any cooperation from the other side. Democrats don't have the patience for this. That's the fascinating thing: is that you could always kick the can down the road on the big spending bill. You help me now, and later on I'll screw you over. But not going to do it until then. And it's fascinating that they haven't been able to do this. They keep trying to do this connection, and it's just you know. Like the idea of, like, you know, there are Democrat progressives who would say, ah, oh, you know, we've been given this kind of bait and switch before. And how do we know you're like, well, you know, the Biden administration can decide whether or not they take that up. So we'll see how things go down. But uh, it, it's just kind of fascinating to see um, how much there's a certain amount of amateurism at work in the progressive movement and the Biden administration's ability to, to you know, manage these competing interests. Yeah, with all the environmental stuff in this one that they want to do for three and a half trillion, you got to think Manchin's going to be a tough sell on that. I don't know if he'll nibble at it to give himself a little fig leaf of, of cover, but uh, I mean, if he's really serious about <laughs> saving West Virginia's uh, energy industry, uh, he's really got to oppose a lot of this, you would think. Jim, that's our Wednesday. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg.
Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Don't forget to tell your friends about us and subscribe, if you don't already, to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Very grateful for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say to your home device is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Wednesday, and please join us again on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Open borders are inhumane. Joe Biden's immigration policies are already causing huge problems from stopping border wall construction, releasing criminals into our communities, exposing our children to them, to the desperate people being exploited by the cartels on their way into the United States. I'm Sarah Carter. On The Sarah Carter Show, we are following this issue very closely, and I'll share my expertise and my terrific sources to explain how this impacts our nation and our families. Subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.